right, welcome back to Cracks in the Cloisters. I am Father Demetrius Thomas. And Brother Will. All right. So, episode, I don't even know right now, 13, something like 12, that? 12. 12, 13, 12. somewhere like that. Getting in, we're getting up there. Yeah, yeah, definitely getting up there. Wish our views were getting up there a little <laughs> bit more, but, you know. Well, we've gotten some nice feedback from a few people, which has been nice. Yeah, definitely got a couple of very dedicated listeners. Uh, got a couple other people that want to come on it a little bit. So that's yeah. kind of cool. This kind of reminds me of uh, when I was in college. I I worked for uh, a college radio station, mm-hmm. WERW, 1570 AM, Syracuse, New York. And uh, That's a mouthful right there, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah. And... Uh, so, you know, of course, when, you, when you're one of the new people at the radio station, uh, you, you get last dibs for the, for the slots, you know. Mm-hmm. So they did three-hour slots. And uh, I remember my first year was uh, Thursdays from 4 to 7 a.m. So it worked out with my uh, class schedule because I had a late class on Thursday. And uh, so I would just stay up. Like, I would kind of prep the show from, like, you know, for the couple hours before 4 a.m. Yeah. Walk down, you know, across campus to the radio station, do the do the show, and then come back. And, uh, you know, we usually had about seven listeners, two of whom were, like, the computers they kept on in the office. Right. <laughs> and, like, you know, my parents and then, like, my buddy's parents, you know. Did you ever get tempted, tempted to just say something offensive to see if anybody was listening? Oh, yeah. We... <laughs> uh i don't want to get anyone in trouble but our senior year coming back uh one of one of the last days we were on campus me and a a buddy may have gone into the radio station and just kind of went live on air and just talked (laughs) yeah because like situations like that i think are just like setting people up to bring out like the worst in them like i remember one time years ago years ago um they had me get a rental car to go see my folks over Christmas, I think it was. And the rental car I ordered, they didn't have. Uh-huh. So Enterprise was going to give me a free upgrade here to that was when the charger had just re-released. Like, we'll, we'll just give you a charger. We'll give you a free upgrade to the charger. I was like, nope, nope, downgrade. Downgrade me. Huh? It's like, like, but it's free. It's, it, it's, a free sports car. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep, yep. But see, I knew myself well enough to know that I was planning to be driving to my folks like at like three in the morning over Christmas when the highways would be mostly deserted. So like, yeah, no, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> give, give me the uh, give me the downgrade because uh, the speeding tickets will not be free. Yeah. Huh. But yeah. So did you like uh, radio programming? all that stuff and i enjoyed it you know i like kind of like putting a show together you know like when you start out you want to be like real good so i like have like a binder of like a playlist of the songs and i like you know have have like a factoid about each band or each song or something like that Mm -hmm. i remember uh i had uh two cousins who came up uh and came on the show and uh i had my my roommate's band on for an interview and stuff like that so it was a lot of fun. You know, you get to learn sort of how to run a program off the computer. and Oh, yeah. You know, I, I had a good time with it. Yeah, my friend uh, Angie. Yeah, I think you've met Angie. Uh, she used to do one at Juniata College in uh, Huntington, PA. And uh, it, it became a little awkward because they found out that most of their listeners were at the county jail on the street. <laughs> they started getting a lot of fan mail Ew. from uh, from uh, from them. And they'd start reading some of the fan mail on air. Wow. It was a, it became a funny show. Yeah. That's like the reverse of, you know, you watch some of these like uh, documentaries about like these really, you know, <laughs> I hate to use the word accomplished, but accomplished criminals mm-hmm. that like they have like these fans like around the country. That, oh, like, yeah. Send them letters and letters by yeah. their art. I mean, Charles Manson's art went for when it was smuggled out of prison. Tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, depending on the piece. Yeah. Like it's insane. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, that's just macabre and weird. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's just the rarity of the item that, mm-hmm. you know, drives up the price, but... 
Yeah. Yeah, there's something. And actually, that came up with, you know, the Dahmer show. Mm. That, you know, that was really popular uh, for a while. And uh, I know the families of the victims, uh, of his victims, were very upset that they felt like the show was kind of glorifying him. And, mm -hmm. you know, you had kids dressing up as him for Halloween. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, there's there's something a little off there. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Because, you know, even though, you know, we, you know, Halloween, you dress up as witches and vampires and stuff, but mm -hmm. those are, those are make-believe. <laughs> are they though? <laughs> well, I guess it depends on who you ask, but I haven't met one yet. I actually do like, uh, ironically, I was listening to Rogan. Shocker. Um, he had a dude on, it was a clip from years ago but it was a physicist trying to explain why crosses might work on vampires <laughs> and his uh thinking was kind of crazy like imagine an apex predator that hibernates but it's able to see and visualize in four or five dimensions and when it awakes it hunts mm. yes crosses would make sense as why it would confuse them because in nature right angles do not naturally occur so by having the right angles, it it's multi-dimensional vision doesn't know how to process the image immediately. Uh, and it messes with its honey. Huh. That reminds me of something actually that I heard in Rogan with Neil deGrasse Tyson, mm -hmm. you know, the astrophysicist. Oh yeah, I, I love when he has him on. And he had, you know, he, he's like, humans, I mean, like really don't know how to use their brains that well. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we can do tasks and stuff like that. He said, he said a perfect example of, you know, why that's true is, Take like a, a book of optical illusions. Like, mm -hmm. you know, everyone lo likes looking at optical illusions. All it is is like lines and patterns that we haven't seen before. And like our brain can't handle it. Yep. You know, like we don't know how to process it. Well, did you ever see, I know DeGrasse Tyson, it was on Rogan, but Rogan asked him about aliens and stuff. Did you ever see his response to that? No. Uh, it was priceless. He goes like, look, if aliens exist, and he's like, and they probably do. Like if extraterrestrials, extraterrestrials exist, Especially ones capable of interplanetary travel. I don't ever want to meet them. Right. Uh, we should be afraid of them. Yeah. And Rogan's like, why? Why? He goes, think about all we have is the analog of life here on Earth. But like, think about it. As brain power goes up, everything with a higher order of thinking is predatory. Because so do we, as a non-multi-planet species, want to run across the aliens that are able to travel to the stars? How do we know we're not the cow? <laughs> That's right. He's like, whoa. Yeah. We could be the Sims. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, I tend to, you know, I know that you can be sort of tagged as weird maybe a little bit for believing it, but I have to believe there's some kind of other form of life somewhere. I mean, the, the vast, uh, you know, infinite number of galaxies and it's ever an ever-expanding universe, I, I have to think that. Yeah. There's something else somewhere. Well, I mean, would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, e e well, either one or two things has to be absolute there. I mean, either there definitely has to be other life somewhere. Extraterrestrial. And by that, I don't mean like aliens. I mean like not of this earth. Or you have absolute guarantee there's a God. It's an A or B. If you think about it. Uh-huh. Because if the creation of life is a natural phenomenon, it should happen other places as well, right? If it's not, then you need a force or a power that's capable of literally manipulating nature to make something that's unnatural happen. Mm. And, mm. you know, that doesn't mean it's a personification of God that, you know, cares whether or not you're happy, but... You got to at least admit there has to be some force capable of manipulating literally the basic laws of nature. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where, like, I'm sort of torn with it. Like, I ain't going to lie. Like, part of me firmly believes and thinks that given the massive vastness of the universe, there's probably something out there. Right. But at the same time, part of me is also like, well, but we have no evidence of it. Right. And if you're a theist, it sort of throws a crinkle on the whole thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, we're not South Park. We're in about the Galgamet Catholics. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. I've, I've been convinced that I've seen two, two things that I couldn't explain. Mm-hmm. One, uh, I was at college and I was, uh, I just getting some air outside of my apartment studying for, for some test. And this thing came into my, uh, field of vision mm-hmm. and it was like this brown, like saucer kind of shaped. And as soon as my eyes met it, it kind of jetted phew, away. Like it just jetted away. Yeah. I remember it like it was like it was yesterday, mm-hmm. but, uh, that, and then I remember driving home in my hometown, uh, with a couple of my buddies and looking up, uh, we passed a park that we used to go to all the time and above the trees in the park, there was like some object out there. And, and, and we, you could ask my buddies, my two buddies in the car to this day and they, they'd, they'd back up the story. We had no idea what it was. Yeah. But, well, that's one thing like. Like, I love thinking of those weird ones like that. I love, like, when they declassified a lot of, like, the Blue Book stuff. When you had, not just, like, Joe Schmo saying, oh, I saw this unexplained thing. But when you have, like, fighter pilots and, like, NSA operatives and, like, people whose careers will be destroyed for saying it. But they're just like, yeah, we don't know what this was. Something came on a radar scope and then it, like, moved at 15 Gs and... We don't know how they didn't die. Right. Right. It's like, hmm. But. When's, what, what's the, what was the last really good alien movie or outer space movie, you think? Maybe Interstellar? Interstellar, probably. I love that movie. That was a real kind of thinker type of movie. Yeah. That no, was I've good. never seen it. I've it, never seen Interstellar. Oh, you got to see that. That was a great movie. Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Uh, Arrival. Did you see Arrival? I did see Arrival. That one was. We really saw that good. in theater together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that one was really good. That was good. I love how they did that multi-dimension thing with that, with you know, with the time stuff, and that was cool. Yeah, that's a you know, like space that they'll never stop making movies about that. There's always a, a market for that, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. They had the one with uh, George Clooney and Sandra Bullock. Uh, I forget what it was called, but they were two astronauts. Hmm. Oh, oh. Um, was it Gravity? Gravity. Yeah, I think it was Gravity. Then you had the one with Brad Pitt where he like played the son of an astronaut. I think it was like a Latin name. Oh yeah, putting the one on Apollo it was uh. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah, that was a cool one. Because like they had him like, like almost quasi kidnapped him at one point. Uh, weird, weird movie. I remember growing up like Apollo thirteen was really big. That was that awesome. movie with yeah. Tom Hanks. I watched that on VHS a lot. Yeah. Back in the day. Apollo 13, Armageddon. Armageddon. Bruce Willis. Still, still one of the most touching speeches I've ever heard. Mm. The president's speech in uh, Armageddon. And then when it cuts to that scene of the of the, the one guy's son who doesn't know he's his son, just going, Mommy, that salesman's on TV. Uh, remember that? I don't remember that exact line, but yeah. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. What do you think it is about space that we have a constant curiosity about? I mean, there is a lot to be curious at, about up there, but because it's—I mean, it's—it's it's the unknown. It's the wild frontier. It's the, you know, it's the place we know very little about, and also it has that. I, I think anything that has the potential to that has the mystery of this can give great benefit or kill you. Mm. I think just inherently makes us both fearful of it, but also want to look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I used to scuba dive in high school and early college, you know, point where I had some, you know, actual pretty advanced technical dive guards, you know, which was awesome. And that was one thing I realized, you know, I remember one time I, I was diving a wreck. I think it was the papoose actually. Was it the papoose? Hmm. I don't know. It was a World War II era wreck off of uh, South Carolina. And I came down at this angle and I was able to come down into the wreck and penetrate into the wreck. And I ran my reel. You always run a a line so you don't get lost because, you know, it's not like you can breathe water. Um, And I'm doing this and I'm I'm diving, I'm diving. I get to my safety checks and it's like, okay, I got to turn around, go back. And I start to come back and I got to come out of the same hole I came into and I couldn't get the angle. 
se oye boom, boom, boom. All my gear is hitting off this wreck. I have no way out. I'm diving. Uh, at the time, I think I had double steel 180, uh, 180 cubic uh, feet tanks on. Uh, feet, cubic, uh, is it cubic feet? Yeah, 180 cubic feet steels, mm -hmm. which are not small tanks. Like at this point in my life, I don't know if I could get back on a boat with them on my back. Like they are ridiculous, mm. but awesome. Awesome to dive because that weight, you don't need any weight on your weight belt or anything. It just centers this massive negative force on your back and just like pushes you down nice mm. and level, which makes you able to control your buoyancy underwater flawlessly, right. which when you're doing a wreck or a cave dive is massively important. And so I remember having to take all my gear off, crawl out of this hole, like holding onto the regulator in my mouth and then pull everything back out, pop it back on. And I look up, and there was my high school principal, who was our dive instructor, just looking at me and just like, "Huh?" Mm. And then on the boat, he 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 uh, he yelled at me pretty hard. He was like, "You know, you realize you're on my insurance on the school insurance, <laughs> right?" Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought I could get out. He goes, "Uh huh." You thought. I like how his first thought was not like, "Are you okay?" But like, <laughs> no, no. This is the dude who one <laughs> if time you die. I'm gonna lose my job. This is the dude who <laughs> one time tied me up to a tree underwater as a prank. <laughs> Sounds like a blast. Oh, dude, he was he was fun. I mean, I, I won't lie. He 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 had it. He had his uh, he had his moments where you're like, uh, you know. I mean, but he was fun. And he took jokes and good jest. Like uh, his name was Timothy Laredo. And so, um, for the longest time, he never watched South Park. So we do that, Timo, 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 Timo. And we actually got him a watch. Once he figured out what we were doing, and he laughed about it, we got him. A, we got him a Timmy South Park watch. When you press the button, it went Timo, 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 Timo. Uh. But yeah, I mean, but I, I think there's because I remember with diving, there's there's just people either loved it or they freaked out and nearly died mm. because. You get very claustrophobic. It's, you know, you, you realize you are in a situation where as a human being, you're not supposed to be breathing underwater. Right. You're not supposed to be stuck in a situation where you can't go straight up. You know, I did ice dives. I did where you literally take a chainsaw and you cut a hole and through two, three foot of ice and you jump in. You know, I, I've done penetrations into wrecks, into, into sunken vessels, into sunken, uh, you know, school buses. You know, there's this one spot where, um, I won't say exactly where it's at, but there's a sunken school bus. So you go in there and you just start purging massive amounts of air out of your backup regulator and create an air pocket and you can take everything off and just like chill. Uh, and, and it's smelly, it's nasty, it's moldy, but uh, it is so cool to create like your own little trapped like compartment. Right, right, right. Um, but I do think there's that element with space, just like with scuba, just like with the deep ocean. It's this fact that so little is known about it. That you could discover something amazing. Or you could die. Or you could die. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think it's like good martial arts, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You know, you can, the, there is nothing like that adrenaline rush that comes when you slip a choke or something like that. And you get out of a sub and just like, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, you're skirting that edge. Right. You know, you, right. you, you wait too long. All of a sudden, that arm's getting snapped or you're, you're passing out. out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a fine line between being able to grunt and get enough blood flow to your brain to keep yourself conscious and waking up to, you know, a massive headache and your coach yelling at you. Right. And uh, that idea of limits. Yeah. How, how far can you push yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's something inherent about that, about the human condition that wants to push the limit. Yes. Whether it's, you know, and don't get me wrong, part of it, I think, is stupidity that comes with youth. You know, because let, let's face it, before that frontal lobe completely develops, you know, I look back at some of the stuff I did, high school, college, et cetera, I'm like, whoa, how am I not dead? <laughs> and it's like, thank you, Liggy. Yeah. Thank you, John, for being the one going like, well, guys, 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 maybe we shouldn't do this. Yeah, you got to have a friend like that who doesn't, who's... He goes against the majority opinion of the group. Like, guys, let's think about this. Right. You know, because every once in a while you get that situation, like my brother, where you, you see a massive mud puddle and you have the thought of, huh, if I hit it fast enough, I should hydroplane across. 
and then you have to pull the car out of the because <laughs> you didn't hit it fast enough and you didn't hide your plane across. Right, right. But no, I think oh, I, I think you know. I think right, like what you said the, with the scuba thing. It's the same thing as space. You know, this idea of the unknown, incredibly um, interesting, also incredibly dangerous. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you know, and I think there's just something that, especially in the world we live in now, especially in the West. You know, like, let's not, let's not lie. As bad as it can be here in America, it's not as bad as it was for most of human existence. You know what I mean? The worst person here in the States is still better off than the average person throughout most of human history. Right, right. You know, yeah, you might be broke. You might not know exactly where you're going to be sleeping tonight. You might not have a steady supply of food. But at the same time, you don't have a lion trying to eat you. Right. You know? There's a there's an actual store. If you get a couple bucks together, you can go there and buy the food. <laughs> right. You, you know, you can you can panhandle. You can you can beg for money. You can ask a dude, you know, you can sleep on a steam vent. So don't recommend that. You'll burn yourself. <laughs> you know? But, so I do think, especially for those of us who do not live on that razor's edge of existence, something like a space movie, something like a sci-fi movie, something like a, even like a horror movie, like, like Donner, you know, has that, it connects with that primal unknown, that primal. Right, if I do this, how, how, how can I get away with it? Oh, I got away with it. Can I do it again? Can exactly. I do it again? It's that constant uh feeling of uh risk exactly yeah. you know and that constant you know that unknowing you know i do think unknowing is something that is addictive yeah yep you know oh look at the look at the uh you know adam and eve you know yeah that was she was uh maybe giving into her impulses and when it came to the unknown mm -hmm. right she, she she knew what she was doing in the sense that uh she knew god told her not to eat the apple and she knew what the snake was telling her but the actual effect of what was going to happen after she did not know exactly right you know she knew what for sure anyway promise was right you know but she also knew like okay this is my existence now might be a lot worse. Might be a lot better. It's that temptation of pride. That so temptation. It's a, it's a textbook, you know, gambler's choice. You know. Yeah. Yeah. When you like, you know, bet bet big on a an underdog or something like that. You know, if it hits, it's it, uh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm going home with a lot of money, and if it doesn't, I lost a lot of money. Well, like, did you ever hear the story about the guy who almost broke the horseshoe casino in Vegas? Mm. Same thing. At one point, he had every ten thousand dollar chip. That the horseshoe was allowed to put out. And every hundred thousand dollar chip, the horseshoe was allowed to put out. Because he just had this wild, massive, hard hitting betting betting play. And and he had he had a good run. He had like a massive run of like six to eight months where he just was not losing hands. And at one point they literally had to call him up and like, dude, we got a couple of high rollers coming in. We got some wells coming in. They want to play with massive chips. You have all ours. Can, can you cash some out? Like, yeah, man, I got you. And he did. But the thing with that is, eventually the odds switch. Right. right. And, you know, he broke. Doesn't he, last forever. Right. Yeah. I remember I used to, uh, I used to caddy growing up, and there was a guy, um, they called him, his name was Larry, but, and then like one of the, uh, sort of nicknames for caddying caddies was a looper because you do a loop around the course mm -hmm. you know so like you're a lifelong looper or something like that and they so they called him larry the looper and he would come uh sit down you know uh wait to be called every day and uh he would be with a pencil and pad adding up all the money that he lost the night before because he was he was addicted to gambling mm -hmm. and uh yeah oh yeah well, and that's, that's the kicker of it, isn't it? Is that addictiveness. That, and, and, you know, that's one of the things which is kind of disturbing to see with how, be it social media, be it casino games, be it, you know, 
you know, freemium, so to speak, games on your phone, I'll play into that. I'll play into that, you know, risk, reward, pleasure, yep, pain. Yeah. You know. And you know, like sports betting now is so big. I mean, there's oh yeah, there's probably ten apps you can download to to do sports betting, you know. Yeah. Well, I I had a friend. She was uh in the bathroom just playing slots on her phone in PA. And it hit. Made like 85 G's. Uh-huh. Well, in the bathroom. Yeah. American way. Right. <laughs> and already spent wisely. Paid off the truck. Paid off the house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which was awesome to see. But at the same time, it's just like stuff yeah. like that. You know, that's, they actually say that uh, once somebody wins a big jackpot with the Powerball or Mega Millions, they're statistically more likely to be two things. Broke within seven to ten years. And win it again. Mm. Huh. Because they apparently just start dumping money into it. Right. You know, instead of paying five bucks a week, they start playing $100 a draw, mm. $200 a draw. Yeah. Because they got that instant massive dopamine hit. Right. From winning it the first time. Right. Just like sort of how any other addiction, you know, you get that craving for some kind of rush. Yep. You know, and then for 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 gamblers, it's that, you know, putting that big bet down mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, watching the game. Or even like, you know, when we we're talking about space and scuba diving, like rock climbers, like these guys yeah. that free climb. Yeah. Are you kidding me? You know, these guys that, uh, Alex Honnold, the one guy. Yeah. Go up these mountains with no safety equipment. I mean, well, it's just crazy. The dude that did the show, uh, not the show, the movie, Free Solo, um, was it Aaron Andres? Was it Andres? I don't know. Anyway, he won't do them anymore because he had a near miss. Uh, he was doing one he he had um, done hundreds of times, even free soloed before, and he had an off day. And yeah, yeah. To to me, I mean that that risk reward is just out of whack, like. Okay, you got to the top of the mountain. Also, you could have died. <laughs> you know, like, I that, mean, I mean, I get it as a as a as a thing that you would want to go after, so you could say you did it. You know, right. I'm, I'm sure it's a huge rush to, you know, be however high up, you know, uh, up a mountain and, and have no safety equipment. You know, but I mean, look at the guys that volunteer for war. You know, it's one thing when it's your fight. You know, but look at you know, like I've been watching a YouTube channel lately. It's a former American, and he's paired up with a couple um, British and stuff, EOD guys, explosive ordnance disposal. And they take turns taking a couple months in Ukraine. You know, they go for like six weeks, come back, six weeks, come back. And they both, they all said like, look, our wives won't let us do this full time. You know, like, they're like, you're not soldiers anymore. Like, no. But they're there with GoPros disarming mines and stuff. And they say they get into it because of the rush? Yeah. Uh. I mean, they also see it as doing a good deed, right, etc. Right, right. You know, helping fight for the cause. But in a way, it's not their cause. But there's that a massive, you know, like like the dude posted a video a couple weeks ago, where a Russian tank had run over an anti-tank mine, or a Ukrainian tank had run over an anti-tank mine. There's like, yeah, see, I think this one's a dud because look how the pressure plates bent down real hard on this side. I think it's a dud. We got to disarm it just in case, though. Uh, because the problem is, though, if it's not a dud, we are real close to this going off. Yeah. Like, I can't shock it in any way because it should have gone off by now. And it's just that. And I got to give guys like that credit, the guys that can, even like with jujitsu, even with any of it. And again, I think back to like scuba, the fact of having to stay calm. To be in such control of your body when all the adrenaline, all the endorphins, everything is telling you no. Right. To be able to control those hands, to be able to control that movement, to think stuff through. Everything's telling you to run away. Right. Yeah. No, that was one of uh, Lorito's ways of training us. When we were doing our our water checkouts and like our, our prep dives, like before we were like actually doing like real dives, like if you don't know for scuba, you have book work, but then you have to do 
what are called open water checkouts. You do stuff in the pool, but then you go to like actual water. We did a quarry. Um, and then you got to do some stuff in the ocean too. Where like you literally have to do dives, but under very specific supervision and do certain tasks. Like take your mask off and refill it back up with air underwater. You know, clear your regulators in different ways. And, you know. And the Rito on some of these checkout dives would literally sneak up behind you and just turn your gear off. Like mm. sneakily turn your air off and make it so you had gear malfunctions. And I remember one time after he uh, turned my tank off, took my mask, and took my weight belt. When I saw him on the up, 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 I was, I was, I was ripping into him. Like I was, I was, I was like a junior in high school and he's my principal, but I didn't care. I was like, I was just having at him. And he goes, well, did you live? It's like, yeah. All right. Now, if you're ever actually diving somewhere and, you know, you get in that situation. You know how to handle yourself. You know, you survived it. Yeah. I'm like, son of a gun. <laughs> you know? It is a good lesson. I don't know if you can get away with saying that. You get away with saying that as a principal. <laughs> right. Did you live? <laughs> Did you live? Did you die? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, but it's definitely, I think, uh, an element to that. Again, even like with jiu-jitsu, you know, knowing you beat it and staying calm. Like when you know the guy has a move, but he doesn't have it quite yet, you know. Last week, my jaw actually hurt me for like three days because Bo had me in a guillotine, like tight. Bo's our, um, uh, he's a first three black belt under Jamie Cruz. And uh, I mean, he, he he had a deep. I was able to get my chin tucked, my shoulders up, and get my chin in between his arm and my neck. But he's still cranking. But I slipped it out. I was able to go turtle, I was able to pull out, I was able to come up and uh, come out to, I think it came out to open guard. I might have come up to uh, take like his turtle or something, and we went into a dog fight. I, for, I forget exactly how it played out. These are all jujitsu positions, um, but to know that I slipped the choke, you know what I mean? Yeah. To be there on that razor's edge between pain and destruction, and knowing your limit, you knowing know, your like, limit. It's like boundaries, you know. Yeah. But also having that adrenaline rush and controlling that adrenaline rush, not just using it and like ah. And go blindly back into somebody who could destroy you. But to, you know, I think that's one of the things too. And I think I mentioned it before here, but I don't, I don't know. You know, one of the things I think that makes jujitsu or even judo, you know, any like martial art where you go live. So effective is that you go from full out to full stop. To full out to full stop. In cycles that you can't control. The guy taps, instant stop. You slap, you bump, you go back again. You're right back at it. Yeah. So having control of that cycle, I think is helpful. And I do think that's one of the things more people need, if that makes sense. And I think that's, again, I think it is that experience, even if it's just in a movie, which is why stuff like Interstellar, like, you know, Contact, like any of them, it's yeah, so popular. Contact, yeah. Or even like uh, The Martian. That was a big one. That was one of stuck my favorites. On, stuck on Mars. Yeah, it was one of my favorites. I like that, that one. That was one of the uh, summer uh, sophomore reading uh, summer reading books. Mm. A lot of kids read that and they liked that. That was Matt Damon, right? Yeah, it was yeah. Matt Damon. Well, I was like, so, I'm a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, or anything, anything you know, like... Uh, you know, I've had friends that like you know, go skydiving. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, always wanted to do that. By the way, even that, like, I just, I'm sure it's a huge rush, right? But like, the downside to me is like, you die. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like almost, I don't know, too much for me. Everything works. Too much downside, or it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, even uh, I mean, I remember when I was a, when I was a a teen. Uh, maybe even younger, like when extreme sports started getting really big. Yeah. Like skateboarding and like BMX and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and to me, uh, the appeal of that was that, like there was a, a different kind of rush that like, you know, baseball and football didn't didn't provide you. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, having played baseball, you know, getting up in a, 
in, in an important game in a tight spot, you know, there's a certain amount of adrenaline that comes with that or uh, football, same thing, but, or, you know, you get a big hit on a guy and it's a, and it's a rush or, you know, you, you fake a guy out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but with like extreme sports like BMX or uh, skateboarding, it's, it, it's a different kind of rush because you're not, you're not facing anybody. It's just you. No. Right. No, it's it's a it's a one-on-one. Yeah. And that's not to knock team sports. I think team sports are very important and have a great asset, but I think it's one of the things why I you know, I I love a good boxing match or I love a good UFC fight or an MMA fight or a jiu-jitsu match or these one-on-one scenarios where it's just you testing your metal against another guy. Yeah. You know, I tend just psychologically for myself, I tend to prefer individual sports cuz like in team sports, like if we lost I, I, or I made a, a mistake or something, I would always feel like I let everybody down. Right. And that guilt would just, you know, you just uh, uh, attach itself to you until the next game, you know. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. And then, you know, the next game, then you're thinking about it, uh, you know. That's why I've always I've always liked individual sports like golf or, you know, uh, jiu-jitsu. But even jiu-jitsu, like, if Bo is watching or if like a teacher is watching me roll mm-hmm. or like not you more and more like Bo or like uh, Dane or, or judo uh, sensei. Uh, I like want, I want them to think I'm doing a good job. Oh yeah. You know? No, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, especially yeah. when you've been told to work on something. Yeah. Like, you know, like Bo has me now working on some specific stuff. And so it's like, okay, I can't play my normal game because I need to work and show this off. Because let's let's not lie. No matter how much you're like, nah, I'm just in it to learn. I'm just in it for the fun. You want to be good. Everybody wants to be good, and yeah. everybody wants to get that black belt. You don't want to be the low guy in the totem pole. Exactly. You don't want to be the weak guy. Yeah. You know, and if somebody who's much better than you is saying, here's your weak spot in your game, you want to patch it. Yeah. At least you should want to patch it. Right. You know, or if somebody, you know, comes up and he's like, dude, that was awesome. You, you know, like, show me that. Like, and you know you got something killer, you know. I definitely, you know, I definitely, uh, yeah, actually, uh, Peter, um, Skinny Pete, was saying about that, how he was touched, because uh, he works as a, one of the guys that trains jiu-jitsu with us, works as a, um, as a personal trainer. And uh, I guess somebody came to the gym and specifically said, I want to work with him for X, Y, and Z reason. And we had no idea who this person was. But like I guess his rep has gotten out from previous clients and stuff that people who he doesn't even know who this person was that referred him, saying like you need this guy. Uh. And I think in jujitsu everybody wants that. Everybody wants to be Donner. Everybody wants to be you know Gordon Ryan or Ryan Hall. You know, be the dude who you know. All right, you want me to teach a class? Okay, three hundred grand. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an exaggeration, but like three grand for a private wouldn't be obscene for some of those guys well i just saw at legion you know keenan cornelius's gym he had he had uh craig jones there nice he got 275 people for a seminar i believe it yeah incredible but at that point like how much you gonna learn oh you mean because there's so many people there yeah yeah student teacher ratio not that great exactly (laughs) you know i love when you get and that's one thing i i have to admit i like about bo's gym to be honest is that don't get me wrong I, i wish it was bigger I miss the days pre-pandemic where we would have, you know, six sets of people rolling at one time. And you might have some guys sitting, waiting on the side to, to tag in. But there is nothing like having a smaller gym where every day you're rolling with a black belt. Yeah. You know, and he's, and he's there like, okay, that was good. You're getting a lot better at that. Or, you know, hey, why didn't you cinch down here? You would have had me if you were to cinch your legs. Mm. Or why didn't you grab this? Why didn't you, you know, uh-huh. getting that critique? Yeah. And sometimes it's exhausting. I remember one time I showed up, nobody else showed up, and Bo just sat down and goes, so we're going to rule. And then we're going to talk about it. <laughs> like, uh, all right, I'll, I'll go set a timer. No. <sighs> like, oh, so we're doing it this way. This is your crucible. Okay. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. You know, it's like, uh, it's like sitting with a professor getting your essay critiqued. Yeah. You know, there's a certain amount of nerves because you, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be so bad in front of the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, don't know what he's going to say. And, blah, blah, blah. and I think that's where too, like when anything, whether it's a boss in a world, 
whether it's a teacher, jiu-jitsu coach, whatever, knowing how to do that, I think is key. Because, like, you can't just rip people down. Like, nor should you just be like, oh, you're perfect. No, no, like. There's a balance. Right. You know, it's like the other day I was telling you, I was like, you're not going to get that sweep if you're coming at me. You got to get me on your leg first. It was a, a scissor sweep from guard, you know. But there's a way to do it in a polite way. Like, nah, here's where your mistake is versus the, you're horrible at this. Why would you even try? Right. Da, 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 da. right. You know, the old, uh, sometimes how you say it is more important than what you say. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, there, there's a there's an element of of trust you have to build, you know, with, with the, you know, I, I feel that in teaching, you know, mm-hmm. uh, teaching here at the school. Um, if, the, if the kids trust you, they're more likely to... Uh, listen to you or not take a critique as uh, something with ill intent. You know, you're not just trying to criticize them to criticize them. You're trying to give them, give them some uh, constructive feedback to help them, you know? Yeah. For sure. Definitely. I think that's anywhere though. Like, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I do think that's one of the weird things being a teacher and a priest is trying to find that balance because as the priest, you want to be the guy that they can come to basically with anything. Help guide them through life, help them, you know. But as a teacher, you're supposed to be more the, not aloof, but the more, I'm going to say more prophetic. It's hard to put to words. Yeah. But I think you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, it's it's a different dynamic. And I think that's one of the things that's just brutal, at least even in our rules, you know, because we got to, you know, try to find that balance between spiritual leadership and duty to the school etc that's that's a, it's a you know reminds me of a, a joke i make for a back to school night for parents you know part of my presentation i give about my class is about like discipline in class like how do i handle discipline mm-hmm. and uh my joke is you know when and i said you know i say this to them i said you know you've you've raised these boys they do something wrong are are you more old testament or new testament <laughs> you know uh, so I try to be, you know, I think, I think you have to have a balance of both, you know, yeah. got to tell the, the young man that this thing that he did was wrong, give him a chance to apologize and then kind of give him a path forward to like, how can, how can you amend here? You know? Yeah, I did that recently. I, I had an assignment I was out cause I was on the Kairos retreat and uh, a couple of kids, you know, I put it in the notes, like, you know, they had a. A lecture they had to listen to and i was like look if they don't bring headphones they know they have to bring headphones if they don't bring headphones they, it's homework they don't get class time then that's on them and uh one of the kids like it, he uh couldn't get his headphones to connect he had uh bluetooth ones that's all he had and uh you know couldn't get him to work couldn't get him to work couldn't get him to work. and he had like three days couldn't get him to work and uh so he didn't do the work and uh he came to me and he's like ah i was like why didn't you do it? Well, I couldn't get my headphones connected. Okay. What about the next day? Well, they still didn't work. And what steps did you take to fix it? And he's like, oh, well, uh, uh, uh. Yeah. And eventually, once he said, I should have probably just asked Buddy for headphones. And I was like, there you go. <laughs> you have till Friday to finish them. I'll reopen them up for you. Yeah. But I wanted them to see that, you know, like, Oh, I should have troubleshot this. Yeah. Well, I remember, you know, the teachers I had in high school that were, I wouldn't say the toughest on me, but, you know, I guess more blunt, mm-hmm. you know, those are the guys I remember. And those are the guys that I think changed me and helped me grow the most. You know, maybe in the beginning, you don't like them as much because they are so blunt and, yeah, uh, you know, they, they will tell you in no uncertain terms about what you did wrong or what you can improve on. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you look back. I look back on that. And I said, "No, that's that was good for me." You know, even though maybe it felt bad at the beginning. You know, mm. uh, I think that goes for anything. You know, and on Friday, uh, we had a, 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 a former baseball pitcher, Ari Dickey, mm-hmm. come and, and and talk to the school, and he talked about uh, some some things that from his childhood that that affected him deeply, and yeah, um, some personal issues that he dealt with, and. Um, you know, he was a pitcher that, uh, he was a quote-unquote conventional pitcher that, you know, threw fastball, curveball, changeup, those kind of pitches. And uh, his his velocity started dropping, you know, maybe halfway through his career or so. And, uh, um, 
he told the story of uh, sitting down with Buck Showalter, who was now the Mets coach, and his pitching coach, Oral, Oral Hershiser, and they just said, you know, we're not trying to be jerks here, but, like, you just don't have the stuff anymore. Right. And uh, that's got to be hard to hear, especially for someone who's, like, in the middle of his career. Yeah. You know? And uh, they said, but, you know, we've seen you throw this knuckleball in practice, and we think we can, you know, you can do something with that. Right. And they were right. You know, they they saw it before before he did. Yeah. And uh, well, I like, too, how they handled that. They told him, like, okay, so these are the three guys that still are alive that knew how to throw this. Call them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we want you to learn this, but we can't teach it, so troubleshoot it on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So interesting to hear. And, you know, one of the things that I resonated with was he uh, he said, you know, you, you guys that are athletes or what, whatever you do, your identity is not what you do. Mm-hmm. It's who you are, you know. Yeah. And I remember I played baseball in junior year, had a tough tryout got cut from the team and it was like the end of the world at the time because you know what i put my whole identity into being a baseball player and uh, you know once once you're not playing baseball who are you right you know and uh um so i I kind of i kind of sort of related to what he what he was saying there and you know it's the classic you know one door closes another door opens you know the thing the thing that seemed like the worst thing in the world at the time actually benefited you in the long run you know, I remember one of the priests who wrote one of my uh, letters of recommendation for the monastery, uh, he was like a nationally ranked tennis player mm-hmm. in South Korea mm. and uh, got a bad arm injury, shoulder injury, and uh, had to stop playing tennis. Mm-hmm. Got very angry at the world, angry at God, you know, kind of started hanging with the wrong crowd and, you know, doing things maybe he shouldn't have and then yeah. kind of came back around, but the same thing you know if that hadn't happened he wouldn't have you know become a priest and you know been able to tell that story to people for sure and i i do think though part of that though is trying to find the balance even with that because like you know i know like me at times i you know i i even find myself tempted at times to just be like all right you know what fine i'm gonna call my cousin up i'm gonna get a job like laying pipe for sprinkler companies or something (laughs) you know like that being too bullheaded or stubborn that you're not willing to tweak, you know? Yes. You know, you're not willing to to move with the flow. You're just like, all right, well, all right, then I'll go do my own thing. You know, I'll go find my own amusement park. Right. The only way to do it is my way. Or there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. or Right. Yeah. And, you know, I do think that's, again, that's one of the things you got to find a balance for. Right, accepting criticism, being open to criticism, not necessarily agreeing, agreeing with every critique somebody has of you. Right, you know, but at least being open to hearing it. And that's definitely one of my flaws. Like, like I know that for a fact. Like I, I, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't like when I when I'm not good at something. Yeah, you know, it's like even like. Uh, because you feel like it's like it's like a like a like a chink in the armor, like yeah. a weak spot. Yeah, it was you like to... you know we went shooting with the shooting club Saturday. Yeah, you know even like I was even annoyed because I on the one gun the one um, sig the long pull was on that second port there. You know, I wasn't used to it, so I I walked it in, like you know, I saw when my first round hit and then I walked it into the target, and I'm looking at my target after I brought it back. I'm like ah. They're not grouped. And and I knew why they weren't grouped. But I'm like, I don't like this. It makes it look like I was sloppy and spread it. Because, uh, like, unless, you know, I mean, you if you looked at it and you knew what was going on, you see, like, oh, first round hit here, minor adjustment, minor adjustment, minor adjustment, minor adjustment. Hey, he's on. Mm. But, again, it still bogged me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a similarity I found between like shooting. You, you've done more shooting than I have. Yeah, only a little bit. And yeah, and jujitsu is like that little minor thing that you didn't think was important could be the difference. You know? Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, changing your grip slightly. You know, or you know, even just closing one eye versus keeping both eyes open right. can change how you see through those sides. You're supposed to, you're supposed to keep both eyes open, right? Yeah, like people. I don't know, maybe it's because like TV shows or movies, but like naturally, yeah, naturally you do that almost. Right, yeah. but it will throw off. It'll throw you off either to the right or the left. Yeah, 
statistically. Obviously, everybody's different. Everybody's going to grip stuff differently. But yeah, even how you hold. I mean, that's why like um, like it's even more pronounced with archery. That's why like with archery, uh, a good archery person, well, they'll do it two ways. One, they'll create, they'll put on their string what's called a kisser button, mm -hmm. which literally is a little piece of plastic that goes right into the crease of your mouth, like right where your lips join. That way, you know, you're using the same anchor point and you're looking through the peep sight, through the sight, the peep sight, there's a little peep. It's a little hole, you plastic that you wrap the string around that you use to look through to, to see it sight on a modern bow but um so you make sure you're looking through it the exact same way every time or if you're shooting like traditional archery like a lot of people like i used to always do this i would lock my thumb the uh, first joint of my thumb in on your mandala on your lower jaw if you come in from where the like the bend is you, you often feel that little notch i would always have my bow strung or i'd even bend my arm a little bit so that I was always putting the notch of my thumb right into that that notch on my jaw. Uh -huh. So that I had a stable anchor point every time. Mm. Because, yeah, the slightest little deviation can throw everything off. Yeah. And you got to learn that. You got to learn also what works for you. You know, just like jujitsu. Like, you know, like you give a little too much space. You don't squeeze here. You, you go wrong side here. You reach up this way, that way. You know what I mean? Can, I think you can apply it to you know the spiritual life too, or you know monastic life more 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 specifically. Yeah, you know maybe you're you catch yourself, uh, you know, uh, being judgmental of a guy. Yeah, for example, you know, and if you could just make that slight adjustment of you know catching that thought before it kind of goes down the track, so to speak, you know, because a lot of times with those with those kind of negative thoughts, you say. Oh, you know, he said that word wrong in the reading. I mean, well, how could he be so careless? Da, 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 mm -hmm. da, and you go, to, you know, it's like you get progressively more negative. And yeah, or yeah. you know, or the guy that you know, you know, I'm guilty of this all the time. But like, you're not paying attention, and so like, you you go to move something, you hit the mic, and you just hear, yeah, you know, and and it's annoying. It's very annoying. Um, where the cadence is off, you know, like somebody's way too fast or way too slow or like you mean like reciting the psalms in choir yeah or yeah. even just in reading like yeah there are some guys who read so slow and there's others who like like wait well what are you saying yeah at least in my opinion yep yeah. i mean maybe it's you know because by the time i get to morning prayer i haven't had my morning coffee yet <laughs> it's like i don't know but but even slight adjustments like that you know um you know, catch, catching that thought before you uh, before you can sort of marinate on it. Yeah. You know, or you know, uh, you know, saying saying a little a prayer of gratitude at the beginning of the day can can change your day. Yep. You know, instead of getting up, oh, here we go. Um, I didn't sleep enough. I got to go to work. Da 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 da. da. Mm -hmm. But you know, instead of instead of doing that, you can you know maybe say a quick prayer in the beginning and kind of set the tone for the rest of the day, and that 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 could carry carry you through the rest of your day. You know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's, you know, and that's it, isn't it? Like patterns, patterns, patterns. And yeah. And, you know, I think psychologists say like most of the thoughts we think are negative. Yeah. You know, so you really, I mean, it's really a skill for you to be able to not attach yourself to those, to those negative thoughts. I mean, sometimes those negative thoughts can be good for you. Right. Like, you know, you shouldn't have that second piece of chocolate cake. Yeah. That's that's good. Or <laughs> maybe I shouldn't walk alone at night right now. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, when you get to the things where you're kind of beating yourself up and, and, and right. that that's when it becomes bad. You know? For sure. For sure. I remember uh, there's a, a writer I've talked about a lot, this guy, David, David Foster Wallace. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was a uh, he was a pretty good uh, uh, junior tennis player. And he said, uh, one of his coaches said, you know, kid, he goes, you, you got a lot of talent, but you got a bad head. Mm. What he meant by that was, uh, you know, he would make a mistake and he wouldn't be able to get out of the cycle of thinking about it. Right. Right. So he'd make a mistake. The joke he made, he's like, you know, I'd be thinking about it for the rest of the match, you know, and, 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 and the guy would be, you know, swiftly go about the business of beating me, you know? Yeah. My, my old psychologist used to say that to me. She's like, 
one of your biggest problems is you keep fighting the same battle in your head again and again and again. And the guy you're arguing with doesn't even know you're at war. Mm. So you're just That's destroying deep. yourself. I'm like, oh, wow. So true. And I do that. Like I will revisit thoughts or conversations again and again. And yes. <laughs> keep that cortisol high. And the people who annoyed me or I had that conversation with or did X, Y, Z, they might not even know I'm so fuming on it. You know right, what I mean? Right. And yeah, exactly. And it's like, oof. Because I, I do think at times I can, now obviously people who know me can tell, but I do think at times I'm pretty decent at hiding my deepest emotions. Mm -hmm. You know, like especially if I'm overly annoyed or frustrated. Now, some people can pick up on it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a little disturbed at how few people can pick up on it compared to some other of my friends. You know, I got I still got some friends who can tell when I'm upset before I even know I'm upset, which is frightening, to wow. be honest. Oh. Um, my, uh, my one friend, Megan, she did that to me a couple weeks ago. I went to drop her off some mask cards, and she gave me a hug, and I guess my shoulders felt weird. Mm -hmm. She's like, so why are you upset? I said, I'm not. Someone has you upset. I'm like, what? And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, <laughs> like, dang. I remember I felt like that when, you know, a few few weeks ago when we were at Jiu-Jitsu, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you saying that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you telling me to cool it. Like, like uh, I knew it was going to be a rough rule, but, like, uh, <laughs> stop trying to kill me. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but I, I do think, you know, that's definitely a problem of mine. I know it's a problem other people have, too, but it's definitely one of my problems is I'll keep refighting the battle in my head. It's like the classic thing of, uh, you know, those those memes you see of like, oh, it's uh, I'm getting to bed right at 9.30 or 10 o'clock, you know. Let's let's fall asleep. Three, two, one. And then like your brain comes in. It's like, remember that thing you said seven years ago? That, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yep. Isn't that funny, you know, like how stuff will just pop magically appear in your head that mm -hmm. there was nothing that you're doing is making you like is it connecting you to it just you know you're sitting there you're getting to bed or you're taking a shower and something just pops up that's so weird to me yeah it's it's it is it is weird how memory works isn't it yeah like some stuff like it makes perfect sense like like not recommending this like horrible idea to do for children but do you know how the medievals used to like if they had a message they needed a like a runner to remember flawlessly but he had to go really far away do you know what the medievals used to do? Uh. They would make him memorize the message. And as he's memorizing it, and once they think he has it, they'd take him and throw him into a river. <laughs> like fully clothed, like ready to drown. And then as he's ready to drown, they'd pull him out to create that massive adrenaline rush. Because apparently they have found that like, because we don't want to die, things we survived that caused massive adrenaline, we tend to like have hyper detailed memory of. Oh, I see. Um, but it, it is like a weird. trauma response. Yeah, yeah, it is a trauma response. Yeah, but it is weird how memory works, isn't it? How like you're just sitting there and like get that deja vu, or you get um, any weird thing with the memory. You know, the neurons just fire in a weird pattern. Like whoa! And that was something I remember. You know, when I first got here, Giles uh, said, "You know, the first six months that you're here in postulancy." First, he said, I came from the corporate world. So he said, Will, we're going to bring your agitation level down. Yeah. You know, he said, but what you'll find is, uh, you know, you'd be sitting there in choir and it's, and it's, and it's silent. And you don't have this external simulation and, and your stuff is going to start to kind of bubble up to the surface. Oh, yeah. These things maybe you haven't uh, dealt with before or thought about, you know. For sure. I find myself in that same thing. Like, you know, like, there's many times I find myself just listening to music to distract myself. So oh, yeah. You're not actively thinking about X, Y, Z. Let's face it. Introspective is hard. Oh, yeah. Introspection, yeah. 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 Oh, look at the English teacher correcting me. <laughs> Introspective. That's the next Christopher Nolan movie. <laughs> A sequel to Interstellar. <laughs> but, but you're right. And, but I think that all still ties to that craziness of the unknown. You know? Our brains, just like space, just like scuba, just like any of it, it's unknown. Wow, what a great little gift wrap for this full circle episode. We started with the unknown of space, and now we're going to the unknown within. 
hey, you wouldn't, you you would have thought we planned this. <laughs> yeah, we did it. We were actually before we were like, what are we going to talk about? And then we like said, oh, we'll talk about this, and we haven't talked about that thing. exactly. <laughs> Which is, I think, one of the great things about freeform podcast. So long as you remember not to curse. That's right. Good. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But yeah, I mean that you know sitting sitting with yourself and really kind of diving deep within yourself is a scary thing isn't it because you don't sometimes you don't know what you're going to find oh yeah and 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 there's a chance that you're not going to like what you find exactly (laughs) and that's and then so you're left with the choices aren't you you either dig and confront that and make the changes needed or you ignore it you run from it you hide right distract yourself yeah whether that's with and i think that's one of the issues again just with society you know, you get a lot of people that try to distract themselves from stuff. Sure. In any number of ways, you know. Mm-hmm. Movies, music, books, exercise, work. Yeah. You know. Podcasts. Podcasts, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's for next episode. We'll, we'll, we will psychoanalyze each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that would be scary stuff. Uh, I pay professionals to do that. <laughs> that's right. But we are coming up, and we're at that 101 mark. Uh, but I do think this was a cool little little discussion on the unknown. And that's what we should call it, the unknown. The unknown. All right. Well, you got anything you want to add? That's it. No, I've, I've said all I wanted to say. Cool. Well, then, uh, signing off. This was Father Demetrius and... Brother Will. Peace, guys. Peace.